0: You're listening to the Philip Roberson Property Podcast. And welcome everybody to episode 21 of the Philip Roberson Property Podcast. As always, excited to be here in beautiful Melbourne, COVID County. Gorgeous looking day outside, despite everything that's going on in the economy and everything that perhaps more importantly is not going on in the economy. And I could spend hours on that, but let's get stuck into some good stuff about real estate. And today's topic, the confusion created by media and economists, and who better to ask those questions of than Terry Ryder. Terry, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you here. Thanks, Phil. Good to be here as always. Awesome. Terry, we have seen some grandiose predictions some people that I would suggest aren't Nostradamus at all, but people have taken us to the depth. Of, and you and I like to occasionally, well, let's just say we like to question uh, the commentary around some of the predictions around media. They are somewhat dire. I tend to find it's either one or the other. It's doom or boom. So I thought this is a great topic. You and I spoke about it the other day. Let's start to unpack the confusion created by media and economists. So maybe what's the best way to do this? Do we do we go back up to the beginning of our uh, our little t- journey into uh, 2020 with the pandemic? What do you think?
1: Yeah, around about March and, and into April there were a lot of forecasts made about what was going to happen with property markets and in particular what was going to happen with prices. And now we're um, seven months into this thing and we can now look back and, and assess how, how good some of those forecasts were given that they came from... Um, some of the biggest names in um, the world of economists in Australia. Um, most of the people that media quote um, on prices, for some bizarre reason, are economists. I say bizarre because economists aren't uh, experts in residential real estate. It's not their area of specialty. But for some reason, media consider that uh, they're the go-to guys and gals. Sometimes um to get forecasts on what's going to happen with prices. They always get it wrong. Their track record's appalling and they've shown it again this year with the forecast they made in March and April in terms of outcomes with prices and now six or seven months later we can actually assess how good they were and uh,
0: the short answer is not, not very good. I'm still trying. I'm perplexed, I've got to say, Terry. I don't understand the media in itself of why you would go to economists Sure, you go to an economist when you want an economic answer, but not about property. And that itself, I find quite bizarre. So, well, I'm going to give you the floor. Why don't you start to tell us a little bit about some of those uh, predictions around March, April this year, and uh, why don't we then have a bit of a, a look as to how accurate they've been, or otherwise?
1: Well, there were a lot of forecasts made in March and April about prices in the wake of the pandemic. Um Shane Oliver from AMP Capital, chief chief economist of AMP Capital, Um, he's always in the media talking about uh, real estate markets, making forecasts. His track record is abysmal, probably the worst of anyone in Australia. But they keep going to him. And in March, he predicted that prices would would have fallen twenty percent by now. Uh, And about a month ago, he did another because he's he's doing uh, press stuff almost every single day. He loves to be in the media and um, he did another forecast. Well, he revised his forecast about a month ago, admitting that he'd he'd got it wrong. It wasn't nearly as severe as he'd originally forecast and is now making a more moderate forecast with hindsight. But a lot of others have done the same. West Bank, Commonwealth Bank, National Australia Bank, um, high-profile media people like Louis Christopher of Eskium Research, they were all saying that um, well, they had a range, they always put out a range of forecasts, their base case and then their worst case scenario. Some of their scenarios were talking about falls of 30% in property prices. Um, now, if that was going to happen, of course, six or seven months later, we would have seen some evidence of it. But of course, we haven't seen any evidence of it at all. And now we're seeing Commonwealth Bank, West Bank Bank and the others now revising their forecasts as they tend to do quite frequently. And they're now making much more moderate forecasts about what's going to happen with prices. And indeed, Westpac is now uh, predicting some kind of a property boom to happen in the near future. So they've completely changed their tune again with the wisdom of hindsight, which um, is very easy to to forecast the recent past um, or to um, yeah to uh, say, okay, we got it wrong. Um, here's what we're now saying, which renders their previous forecasts worthless. And um, that's that seems to be the modus operandi of major economists. they make a forecast today, two months from now, they'll revise their forecast, which means the forecast they made today in two months' time will be rendered worthless. So I would question why we ever listen to these people.
0: Well, I think that's the thing, that's the question that you just asked there. You hit the nail on the head, so to speak, Terry. Why would we listen and imagine And you and I have talked about this one before. Well, if you're making your financial decisions, your life decisions, based on what you're reading in the mainstream media, and then, and and quite, to be fair to the, the mums and dads out there, well, if that's, if these are these great people that are continually serving up information to us, you're probably going to think, well, you know, it's been said by Bill Evans, Shane Oliver, uh, Louis Christopher, Sean Dooley of uh, NAB, Chief Risk Officer, and others—you're probably going to think, "Well, that's that's well, that's what's going to happen." But you're absolutely right, Terry. They continually one go to the wrong people to ask of, of information of, and uh, the, 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 the the mum and dad out there just how I'm, I find myself, Terry, when I look at that stuff, I'm completely confused. And I work in the industry full time. So the poor person out there who's trying to actually think, you know what, I want to be able to have some investments to set my family up for the, for the future for retirement, to have cash flow in retirement. My goodness, I just think, how in the heck can you actually plan? And that reminds me of another conversation you and I've had previously, the, the great mistake that people make in real estate as investors is failing to invest in research. If you're not prepared to invest in research and you rely on clickbait journalism, hearsay and doom and gloom predictions purely because that's self-serving an outcome that really isn't of any value, well, of course you're going to end up quite one stressed and probably not going back, not getting to a position where you're in... uh, Uh, Some economic um, safety or certainty.
1: Well, you're going to be making bad decisions if you're basing um, your choices on what you're absorbing from media. If you're absorbing media sound bites and headlines, you're going to make bad choices because it's it's not research at all. It's it's the antithesis of research. It's anti research. It's mostly misinformation. There was a survey conducted in April and asked Australian consumers what they believed would happen to property prices and the outcome was most people thought they would fall 20% or more. Why did they think that? None of these people went and did independent research. They weren't independently informed about it. They were just parroting the messages they'd received from media. Media had been saying for right throughout the month of April that prices would fall 20% or more. And therefore, when you run a a survey of what consumers think will happen to property prices, naturally most of them are going to say that's what they think because that's what they're being told by media and that's the problem. People don't do independent research and they rely on media sound bites, and they're being uh, rather severely misinformed. And we now have the evidence that um, all of these highfalutin, big-name and supposedly credible forecasters have totally got it wrong. Commonwealth Bank, West Pass Bank. Westpac Bank, Shane Oliver of AMP Capital, Nab, Louis Christopher, uh, Martin North, who for some reason was quoted by um, Australian Financial Review, and he said prices would fall 30%, maybe even 45%. Um, and they'll all got it totally wrong. We would have seen evidence of it by now. And of course, none of that has happened. Um, but tomorrow media will go to the same people and ask them for more forecasts because They really don't care. Um, They're looking for a, a clickbait headline. They don't care about the credibility of the people making the predictions as long as they're willing to predict something sensationally negative.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, that survey you referred to back in April, that you're right, most Australians believe that property prices would fall some 20% over the next six months. And, of course, their evidence was, well, well, that's what they were reading and, and hearing in the media. But the outcome, Terry, has actually been somewhat different. In fact, most locations around Australia have had rising prices. Six of the eight capital cities have had higher prices since the start of 2020. Yeah. Well, the I just, new figure, yeah, the new figures are out. Um, have come out
1: uh, today from CoreLogic for the month of uh, September, and also figures for the year to date and for the past twelve months, and they show just that—a um, rather again, a rather remarkable result everywhere. Um, what what the figures out um, from? the latest figures from CoreLogic show us is that prices are pretty much rising everywhere in Australia except Sydney and Melbourne. And the problem is, of course, all of our major media comes out of Sydney and Melbourne. They're very Melbourne-centric and Sydney-centric. All the economists, they quote, are based in Sydney and Melbourne, so they think that their situation is Australian. Of course, very often it's actually um, the reality is that the two biggest cities are the exception to the rule. The rule at the moment is pretty much everywhere in Australia has prices that are rising or at least holding the line. Six of the eight capital cities and regional Australia as well rose in the month of September, rather remarkably. But we've been seeing that month by month since February when this pandemic first struck. So no great surprise to you and me. Do proper research, but um, for people who believe the media messages, they'll, they'll perhaps would be surprised with if meter actually acquaints them of this information because the headlines will say tomorrow property prices continue to fall because the average situation for the capital cities is a small decline in september because of sydney and melbourne but the reality is six of the eight capital cities rose in september and that's been happening for the last six months
0: Interestingly, again, Terry, uh, you know my passion and, and I'd say I think we both share the passion around regional Australia purely because it's just a great story. And you've often talked about it as the win, win, win. Me personally, I reclaimed it as the holy grail of property investing or affectionately, that's what I call it. But you just, it's, it is interesting that it's, it's almost becoming trendy now that we're starting to see in radio, mainstream radio, well, when I talk about mainstream radio, I know certainly down at the ABC, we've got 3AW down here in Melbourne, for example. We're seeing it on the TV. More and more talk is around about the exodus to regional Australia. But generally, we still don't get enough. I don't don't feel it gets enough credit. They talk about the exodus, but they don't really talk about what's happening in the economies. They seem to be focused on only one aspect, which is this exodus of people lining up at the gates to try and get out of the cities, particularly out of Melbourne. Obviously, they can't, despite the fact that 52,000 people have moved to regional Australia over the last three years but they're not also talking enough about just what's happening in those economies and rather than people wanting to get out and want a change of lifestyle, just the real positive aspects around some of the economies that we see around Australia. And you and I often talk about this stuff when we like to give people clues. Things like places like Aubrey-Wodonga we talk about, we talk about Shepparton, we talk about the Latrobe Valley. We've talked about what happened on the Sunshine Coast and what's happening now in Townsville with a t- planned $25 billion spend. We've talked about Northern Victoria with Portland. You and I have spoken about uh, the Sunraysia area of Mildura and, and just how exciting and what's going on in South Australia uh, with what Elon Musk is doing and Technicolor are doing. as uh, the uh, It's known to us in the industry, people that do proper research, as the... Um, uh, the Silicon Valley of Australia, but again, they, we just aren't hearing it out in the marketplace. So you've got to wonder why why people are so confused. How could they not be confused if they continue to rely on the mainstream media for um, for their supposed research for the quote unquote wannabe investor? Yeah, well, it's a mistake that most of them make.
1: Unfortunately, they um, they think that um, absorbing. Media messages is research, and it's not, as I said earlier, it's the the opposite of research. And um, if people are serious about investment, they've got to do better than this. Um, I think we've got to stop feelings sorry for them, Philip, and give them a bit of a rap over the knuckles. You know, pe- people have got to be smarter than this, but they should know, you know, people should realize by now that um, media is pretty shabby in this country, really, and it's, it's polarized politically. Um, there are agendas in play. In pretty much every media organisation in Australia, that should be clear to pretty much every citizen. Um, so that um, there should be an awareness that if you want to um, get good information about the housing market, you've got to go elsewhere. You've got to go to proper research sources. People who actually do it for a living, um, and and stop listening to you know media pundits who tend to be economists, as we've said, and uh, they're just not experts, and they continually get it wrong. Which is why they continually revise, which means completely backflip on their previous um, forecasts, and um, it's just yeah confusion, misinformation. How can you make good decisions about a property investment when that's what you're using as your information source? You've got to be better than that. You've got to be smarter than that.
0: Yeah, but I, like you say, and we've talked about what our topic is today, Terry, being the confusion created by media and economists, I and. Mean, Westpac Bank, I'm going to give them a clip. I mean, one minute they've they've said that the market's going to drop. And then, of course, as you said, with CoreLogic as well, September, Westpac updated or published its quote unquote new forecast, suggesting that we've got a property boom in the near future and admitting, okay, yes, our forecast six months ago were wrong. They've in fact gone on to say, Terry, that Brisbane house prices are expected to surge some 20% over the next couple of years after the markets bottom out in mid 2021. They've said that uh, Sydney prices could climb 14%, uh, fueled by record low interest rates, uh, no secret there, and freely available credit. Obviously, we're seeing some changes. We've seen Josh Frydenberg announce that there's potentially going to be some. Uh, loosening of the purse strings in terms of the requirements of uh, uh, compliance, etc., for the banks in terms of the lending. So we're possibly going to see a little bit of loosening of uh, uh, the bank's purse strings around access to credit. But according to uh, the Westpac's economists, were somewhat bearish, you would be, be fair to say. Now they're saying also Melbourne prices are predicted to lift by some 12%, Perth by 18%. Adelaide by 10% over 2021 and 2023, uh, it, it's, it's just so bloody darn hard to follow. Well, it is. No, I think they've even got that wrong um, in a couple of
1: respects. Um, firstly, they don't think the re- recovery is going to start until the middle of next year. Um, but the figures out today from CoreLogic shows that uh, recovery from what? Um, there, there is no downturn in these figures. Quite the opposite. What these figures show, that outside of the two biggest cities, bearing in mind that two-thirds of Australians don't live in Sydney and Melbourne, two-thirds of Australians are living in in locations where primarily prices are rising right now, according to the core logic figures and also according to other evidence. So they're saying there's going to be a recovery starting in the middle of next year, but what a recovery from what? Um, th- there is no downturn in prices here. And the other thing that's absurd and what Westpac are saying is that they're saying the recovery that they see will be caused by record low interest rates. We've got record low interest rates right now. Um, and that this is a indicative of the fact that they really don't have any knowledge. All they can think of to explain movements in markets is the level of interest rates. Well, we've had record low interest rates for a number of years. We have them right now. Nothing's going to change in that regard. But when, in, the, in the last couple of years through this period of record low interest rates, we've seen uh, Sydney and Melbourne boom, but many other parts of Australia not. Then we saw Sydney and Melbourne actually go into a, a downturn, a um, a correction phase. But at that time, uh, other markets were rising, like regional Australian markets and Hobart, for example. Adelaide and Canberra were doing all right as well. So all of these ups and downs have happened through the same level of record low interest rates. But um, they can't think of anything else to attribute movements in markets too so they're, they're, they're falling back on that which uh, i think just suggests they, they really they're talking through the hat they don't know they don't understand the market they're talking about
0: i think you might be right there terry i mean if you look at nab i mean nab suggested prices back in april might fall as much as 30 percent. i love the, the name of their little scenarios the base case or the V-shape scenario, my goodness me, the V-shape sounds like a warhead. Uh, Assume they said house prices would fall 10% this year, along with a sharp increase in unemployment before property prices would recover slightly with a 2.6% increase in, in 2021. But then under their severe downturn scenario, they assumed that house prices would plunge Almost twenty-one percent, twenty-point-nine percent this year, and a further eleven-point-eight percent in twenty-twenty-one. Before a two-and-a-half percent rise in twenty-twenty-two, and they're going to and be in fact, spectacularly wrong.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. and of course, the, the key thing is which part of of all those scenarios they presented did the media report? Of course, they reported and headlined. The worst-case scenario, they did that with Commonwealth Bank, more than 30% drop. National Australia Bank, 30% drop. Uh, the Australian Financial Review, um, quoting an obscure uh, lone wolf economist called Martin North, 30%, maybe even 45%. So the worst-case scenarios is what it always gets reported. Now, the people pumping out the reports, the bank economists, they know that, and they, I think that's why they do it. The the goal is to achieve publicity, that's all. They don't care about informing consumers. They're not interested in being helpful to people. They're not interested in in being useful to their customers. It's really about headline generation. And so they they put out a release with a a worst-case scenario, worse than 30%. They know that's going to be tomorrow's headline, but they do it anyway because that's their objective.
0: Yeah, look, there's no doubt about that. And I know The Age, for example, in April, April the 8th, in fact, they reported that uh, property prices could plunge as much as 30% as the economic effects of the coronavirus. Containment measures spark waves of job losses and crush consumer confidence. We all know that the auction rates, yes, they literally did fall off the cliff because of the government measures that they had to uh, stop uh, auctions, and then we went to online auctions, and of course, in Victoria, well, there were no auctions whatsoever. But they love to quote the, the doom and gloom, the data for properties sitting on the market for 30 to 60 days surged in Sydney, 122.37%, just over 150% in Melbourne and 132.37% in Canberra. Well, of course that's going to happen if you can't have an auction, for goodness sake, if you can't actually have a sales process. You talked about lone wolves in Martin North of digital finance analytics. I mean, that you're right, talk about clickbait, uh, journalism he was talking about uh, the coronavirus induced economic downturn well if it's relatively short lived he said that property prices could fall anywhere between 15 and 25% over the next 2 or 3 years but if there's a longer term crunch with unemployment consequences and and the failure of businesses being longer then he said oh i think it'll be 20 to 30% but if the global disruption is prolonged then it could top 45% guess what they reported 45% of course they did I mean it's just absolute nonsense and I think we've all got to just get to a point that people have got to be smarter and fair to come I would love to see the media actually be held to account Terry uh, it's, it's actually really really morally uh, quite frankly morally is that what am I trying to think of morally um, Is it reprehensible? Yeah, well, well, it is. It is. But also it's it's a
1: really bad business model and it's not working for media. Media organisations are shutting down. They're failing. We've seen a lot of closures of newspapers and other media outlets recently and continuing a trend that's been going on for a while. So, you know, according to our definition of insanity, if what you're doing isn't working, you keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result, and that's what media is doing. It's kind of doubling down in effect. Uh, Being sensationally negative isn't working for them, so they're they're being even more so because because that's the mentality. They don't know any other way. One something they they could try is how about we try being useful to our customers, you know, instead of telling people how many people are unemployed, how about we tell them where the jobs are being created. You know, it was announced today that BHP is actually hiring 3,500 apprentices and trainees, Um now, that's useful information to consumers. There's no point in telling them how many people are unemployed. We already know there's a lot of people unemployed, but what is useful is perhaps suggesting where people who are unemployed might go to get a job, but media doesn't think like that. Um, so we, we have that, that, that kind of philosophy of, of journalists pervading everything they do, and um, they're just not being helpful because that's not their motivation. Um, and if they, they could turn that around... Um, they might actually turn around their their um, their circulation figures, which uh, are dropping, dropping, dropping to the point where many organisations are going broke.
0: Yeah, Terry, I absolutely agree. Or well, perhaps they could start to report a little bit uh, more about the opportunities around the regional areas. I mean, you and I both know that regional Australia, yes, Australia, and we remind our our listeners that Australia is made up of not. It's not the Australian property market, but that Australia is made up of thousands of markets. Terry, you and I talk regularly uh, about what's going on across regional Australia, and it would be fantastic if we saw that these journalists uh, reported positive news rather than just the doom and gloom. Right now, listeners, right now, let me get this point across to you. I did a video very, very recently, and I talked about getting a house in regional Australia in many of these really strong economies is like trying to get a grand final ticket in the ballot. They are as rare as hen's teeth. I've got my team scouring Australia looking for great property, and because of the way that the media has framed this with vendors. Nearly every agent, I'm sure you're the same, Terry, when you have conversations with people in real estate, there's just no stock. People aren't selling, and we've got markets lifting because there's just no supply. And it's exactly the same scenario with properties to rent. There's just no supply. Everyone that I talk to, they are just filling up their pockets, at least in terms of sooner soon as something comes on the market, people are buying sight unseen. People are just, they're registering and things. The days of just trying to be cute and negotiate on a property in this current climate right now, it just doesn't happen. If if I'm not prepared to jump quickly, Terry, guess what? My clients miss out. So we're going through a re-education phase. So it would be fantastic to see the media actually Help the economy. I'm with you there, Terry, and start to talk about, hey, guys, you know what? Things aren't great in some of these capital cities. Or did you know by buying in regional Australia, you could start to prepare yourself and your family for financial security without having great financial risk? And guess what? If you do any renovating, you're putting money back into that local economy, these are very simple things that can help get our country absolutely firing and get out of this uh, a government-led recession, out of this pandemic, really quite quickly. That's where the media could be helpful, rather than all this clickbait, sensationalist journalist journalism that is, frankly, so unhelpful.
1: And it's a turn-off for consumers. I think we're all heartily sick of it. There's a great example uh, just in the past week where Domain published its latest report for first-home buyers and they emphasised, they they came up with the usual bogus scenario which doesn't uh, bear any connection to reality, um, which is a 20% deposit on a house in Sydney uh, to represent how hard it is for first-home buyers to get into the market. Um, Of course, nobody needs a 20% deposit. Uh, We haven't for a long time. Uh, But in the current climate, uh, with the federal government scheme, you can get away with a 5% deposit. You might also consider an apartment and not a medium-priced product because 1st home buyers buy at the lower uh, price range, just not at medium prices. And we could consider how long it takes to save a deposit under a realistic scenario in places like Brisbane and Perth and Adelaide and regional Australia. But what was presented was how long does it take to save a 20% deposit Uh, to buy a house in Sydney and, of course, it was six and a half years and so the headlines around Australia said how hard it was, almost impossible for people as 1st home buyers to get into the market because you had to save for six or seven years. And, of course, it was absolute nonsense. Um, The current situation of being able to get by with a 5% deposit, the numbers dropped to, in most capital cities, less than 12 months. That's how long it takes a couple to save to get a deposit to buy a home as a 1st home buyer. Um, seven or eight months in some of our capital cities and even in Sydney less than 18 months but that wasn't what was presented because the motivation of Domain putting out the report and the motivation of media reporting it is not to be helpful it's to generate a negative headline and just, just think how how it might improve their business, how it might increase their circulation. If they actually produce something that's useful to people, say, hey, look, according to these numbers, you can actually get together a deposit um, in in seven or eight months in most parts of Australia, and you can be in a home as a first-home buyer inside 12 months, and and then extrapolate that across all the other favourable circumstances for first-home buyers, such as Interest rates have never been lower. The level of government assistance has never been higher. Investors are sitting on the fence. Are you not competing with investors in many cases and many locations of Australia? It's a great time to be out there as a first-time buyer. But um, that's not what media um, has an interest in projecting. So rather than being helpful, which might have helped their, their business model, they have actually chosen once again to be negative and which is extremely unhelpful.
0: Terry, I think you actually made um, an incredibly great point there. Imagine, and my brain just started turning over, thinking: Imagine if a publication put out a series of ways to be able to navigate out or through the pandemic, so that you can end up in a much stronger financial position. So you you hit on some of the opportunities with the first home buyers, and you're right. uh, We've never seen so much government assistance. In fact, there's. I know you've written about it previously. Whilst you said we only need a five percent deposit. That we've also got the federal government guarantee for first home buyers, where the lender's mortgage insurance was also being waived for that first. And, and that is huge. I mean, that that could be ten to fifteen thousand dollars saving there straight off the bat. And the fact that if uh, if people are prepared to say to look at regional Australia. And we know that the data tells us that many first home buyers for lifestyle reasons and affordability are quite prepared to look at going to regional Australia for their first home. In fact, I think it was a, a figure of even up to 60%. But when you've got the federal government and the state government incentives to build a new dwelling of $45,000, that's that's after tax money. That's That's a huge amount of money. $45,000 and no mortgage insurance, yep. that's just incredible opportunity. Nev- there's
1: never been a time, I think, there's never been a better time to be a 1st home buyer in Australia, provided you've got secure employment. Correct. Um, um, and, and yet me- the media headlines in the last week have basically been telling young Australian couples that it's hopeless, um, you know, the, the road... The first-home ownership is incredibly long and arduous. It's almost not worth trying. That's the message they're conveying at a time when there's actually never been a better time. And it's actually, it's never easy to become a first-home buyer. I don't think it ever has been. It certainly wasn't when I bought my first home, but um, it's it's a very advantageous time with the level of state and federal government assistance. You don't have to pay mortgage insurance you only need a 5% deposit. You probably won't pay any stamp duty. You've got uh, state and federal grants to help you. It's it's a wonderful time. In actual fact, 1st um, home buyers are out there in force. I, I re- was quoted in media in the last week as saying they're having a feeding frenzy out there, that they are the the most active cohort anywhere in the market right now, and they're taking advantage of the circumstances, um, at least some of them. But uh, And there were some figures from, I think, uh, Aussie Home Loans um, said that um, the, the level of pre-approvals for home loans for mortgages has risen 77% this so far this year and more than 50% of those pre-approvals are first home buyers. So they're out there in force,
0: totally contrary to what media is uh, portraying. I mean, they are just absolutely fabulous figures to hear. And, and you and I have had the conversation on previous uh, podcast episodes, Terry, where I've been telling you from uh, being at the coalface my greatest competitor out in the market, which is a beautiful thing. As a father of two young men, I've got two sons knowing that the, the first home buyers are my stiffest, biggest competition in the marketplace right now. They're everywhere. And it, it's it's wonderful. Uh, but we're just again we're just not hearing it. And I just I would love I, I agree with you too. I would love to see a really a an editor that says, you know what, we're going to take a positive stance and as a newspaper or a a, a media organisation and we want to actually create and, and you you're absolutely right. The readership would go through the roof. If you were providing resources, a pathway of positivity that enabled people to get to a point of ownership and potentially for uh, financial independence by taking positive, even what I'll call them conservative steps. And again, I use regional Australia as a wonderful example And that's why I always say to my clients, I love talking about this stuff. Uh, I practice what I preach. And I think it's just, it's so exciting. And people see it in the way that I talk with them. And I say, hey, please follow your heart and your gut. Let's give you some real research and then come back and have a conversation with me. And invariably, most people do come back because they just... They actually struggle at first, Terry, because it's almost like, uh, as the great Zig Ziglar would say, you've got to undo stinking thinking. It's almost like I've got to, we've got to undo all the damage of years of people being bashed about Around you've got to buy in Sydney and Melbourne. You've got to buy within fifteen k's of the CBD or what we would term in Melbourne the donut, and that's that's all you've got to do. In fact, I had a I had a client meeting today. Earlier today, we did a Zoom meeting. A, a, a lady that I've known for many many years, and she was looking at uh, at Richmond in Melbourne to buy, and purely because that's what she believed. That's because of what she'd been educated around. She's an intelligent lady. But when I, when I got her, I said, look, why don't you spend the next couple of days, this was a few days ago too, and listen to some of our podcasts about regional Australia. She couldn't believe it. She reached out to me and now we're talking about making her first purchase because she's excited. She does, she's, uh, doesn't want to be under financial pressure and sees it as a realistic way. And I was able to cite plenty of examples of things that we've done for clients recently around buying a very affordable property that can be subdivided and minor cosmetic improvements. I call it like putting on a little bit of makeup. And this is where it's wonderful. And if we saw articles like that promoting the sort of things that we talk about in the mainstream media, for example, Terry, we would be able to help more and more Australians get out of this, uh, this the, the doldrums and, and the, probably the depression that they feel. Well, in fact, maybe the word is not depression. It's a sense of hopelessness because that's what this media creates, that sense of hopelessness. Yeah, they've, um, they've really um, been
1: milking the whole coronavirus thing for all it's worth um and they just can't help themselves they'll sensationalize anything they'll take something that's already sensational but and they can't report it in a straight way they feel they've got to even sensationalize something that's already sensational which is that the whole pandemic situation they didn't need to embellish that it was already you know the biggest story of their lifetime um and um they don't seem to have the an awareness there's a there's a lot of people out there that, that that are fearful there's a lot of people out there that are really suffering you know people in lockdown are uh, mental illness is pr- probably the, the unsung consequence of what's been going on in Melbourne and elsewhere recently. Um, people don't need media to make it worse, but that's what media has been doing because they, they have this, this passion for emphasising the worst of every situation, the negative in every situation. Even they'll they'll plough through a sea of positives to find the negative and that's what they'll report. And they're just making a bad situation worse. And it's showing um, no no interest in the well-being of the people who are their customers. It's a very strange business model, isn't it? It's, um, most businesses thrive by thinking about what their customers need and providing for it, whereas media does the opposite, really. They don't seem to, to have any interest at all in what their customers want or how their customers feel, which um, probably explains why so many of them are going broke and ceasing to exist recently.
0: Well, I mean, even even following, and I and I, I, d- I don't even listen to the press or watch the press conferences anymore, and I don't tune into the mainstream media around what's going on, the latest figures on the pandemic and what's happening. I just can't stand it. It's so negative and and benign, and and quite frankly depressing. And Terry, as you know, I'm the founder of Saving Brothers, which is a global entity that I'm building around men taking back the sovereignty around their health and being proactive around the health you're right feeding into this stuff this sort of journalism is not helpful we have got a situation and I've spoken to you about this offline and I hadn't intended to talk about this but we've got a situation here in Melbourne Terry that firemen are going around cutting down ropes because men are hanging themselves out of sheer hopelessness and you know hopelessness we don't hear that. It's not talked about. And it, this is where I get really peeved because they just don't understand the damage that they are doing to already emotionally and mentally fragile people who are feeling, my God, all is lost. Yeah. They and either you don't have- understand or they don't care, um, probably the latter um and that's worse and that's just worse. well that's right I, I
1: think it's diabolically bad they should be held to account of this, as you suggested right at the start of this conversation um you know that they're, they're doing damage at a time when people a lot of people are very fragile in this situation they're fearful and they're they're being damaged um, in all sorts of ways they're fearful about their livelihoods about the health the possibility they might get this virus and die Um, people in lockdown are
0: really suffering because it's a natural way to have to exist. Um, No, you're absolutely right. And it it is such a shame that if you had a media outlet that said, you know what, we actually want to help, we actually want to lead people with good content that actually is helpful, I really think if you try to get more readership or clicks on your articles I think you'd find that the the market, people's psychology has changed. People are wanting positivity. They're looking for evidence of things that can help them. And people are changing their lifestyles. People are reassessing what's important and what's not. And even around how they work. And so people are looking for solutions. And I think a smart media outlet right now could have really played into that uh, and said, you know what? We're going to be the ones that are going to start to come up with ideas and solutions that are going to be helpful. I reckon their readership, their advertising also would go up and they'd have some positive uh, feedback from their viewership. But you're absolutely right, Terry. I ho- hold out basically little if no hope. Yeah. Man. So sad.
1: It is. It is sad. It's not going to happen. It should happen, but it won't.
0: Yep. And I think look really what we can do is we can continue to hold a torch to the importance of being very careful where you take your your information, where on and on what basis you make decisions. And again like we've said before, Terry reading the mainstream media is not research. It's so important that people come to people such as you Terry at hotspotting.com.au and invest in getting the answers. I mean, I I do it constantly. I'm not the expert in a lot of areas of my business and personal life. And I go to coaches. And I pay for information. And I pay for expertise to help me in different areas where I don't have strength. I possibly could do the research in a lot of areas. I'm sure some of our clients, Terry could do it as well. But people don't have the time. And particularly when you're talking about Property where the markets are fluid. I mean, the beautiful thing which I love working with your team on, Terry, is that you track every every suburb in Australia. Who who can do that? Who's got the time to do that? Yeah, well, that's right. Um,
1: that's basically because we're nuts here, and we're nuts about property, and um, we're uh, suckers for punishment. But we do, we do uh, every quarter. We do a suburb by suburb, town by town analysis. Um, we just spend all day, every day, um, looking for information. That informs what we do about uh, residential property research, um, um, but worth doing because it uh, means we've got we've got an audience. We're providing something that people can't get from media,
0: which it's so yeah, well, necessary. That's it. that's it, and I think Terry, why don't we wind it up now? Yeah. In summary, I'm going to give you the floor. The last
1: word, Terry. Yeah. Look, um, you know. It, People uh, need to understand that um, they're not going to get meaningful information uh, from mainstream media if they want to be successful with uh, property investment. They've got to be better than that. They've got to do real research. And um, if that sounds daunting, there are, there are good sources of information out there that they can go to and find out what's really going on in markets. And there are good advisors like yourself, Philip, that people can talk to. It's worth spending money on good information. It's worth spending money on good advice
0: because uh, it's false economy to do otherwise. 100% with you there, Terry, I must admit. And I do the same in here, as I said a moment ago, friends. Uh, I go to other professionals and I say, well, you're the experts. You're going to save me time and money and we'll do things a lot better. Well, folks, it's been an enthralling episode, I'm sure you'll agree, the confusion created by media and economists. I hope we've helped unpack some of that confusion. I think our bottom line point is, guys, gals, do not listen and uh, read this sort of stuff. It's not helpful. Just take it as a grain of salt and do proper research. As always here at the Philip Robertson Property Podcast, we love having these discussions. Friends, please uh, like share comment on the podcast terry have a fantastic weekend appreciate your time as always always jealous of the fact that you're up on the beautiful sunshine coast and we're in lockdown here in COVID county goodness gracious me wonder what christmas is going to look like we have no idea so friends take care for now and we look forward to uh, catching up with you next week on the philip Robertson property podcast take care and bye for now